0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. FortofCorinth.com is having a 2023 inventory blowout sale. Check out all of last year's model in the lot, which must be moved. Bring your enthusiasm your down payment. And let our team of finance professionals remove the test so you can just drive off our lot. FortofCorinth.com.
1: What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator as always is Colin Brister. This is still the Intro List Rebel Report Podcast. Uh, loaded show today. I, I we have Brett Hudson on from the Tuscaloosa News. Uh, you might remember him for from he covered Mississippi State for the Columbus Dispatch for a while, and then he covered Mississippi State for Matt Wyatt Media. Guy does a great job. He's really, really smart dude. He's been on the Alabama beat for like three, four weeks, I think. So it was interesting. I, I. I hope i didn't bore people listening but i i asked him a couple questions just about how people do business differently down there in terms of like a reporter's job because saban is so guarded i find that stuff fascinating he talked a lot about the you know the, we talked some about the game but come on man there's not a whole lot to, <laughs> to break down with the game so i got in some big some bigger picture alabama stuff uh just kind of like what they think of lsu and all that i don't know he's a really smart dude he knows football really really well I found it as an interesting interview. We'll get into some Ole Miss quarterback situations. Uh, what's up?
0: Did, did he predict Ole Miss to
1: win the game? No, but the second question, I was kind of just screw with him. We were, I, I I hit him with the first question. I talked about like you know it's been interesting. People have moved the ball on Alabama's defense. Okay, really, namely Helinski, Duke a little bit, and then he was explaining why, and it was because they lost Dylan Moses. They've got a lot of young, you know, they lost a couple linebackers. They got a young two deep up front. And then after he got done answering, I was like, all right, sweet, here's a great question. Give me five reasons why Ole Miss will win. <laughs> and he just started cracking up. Okay. I think he was going to try to give me an answer, too, as he was, like, like trying not like to contain his laughter. And I was like, no, man, you don't have to answer. I'm just messing with you. What? Is there any scenario? No, there, of course there's not. I'm just
0: like, how many times in I have to turn it over? Like, well...
1: Yeah, I, I exactly. I, I, he, I would have honestly, I should have let him go. I should have just seen what he would have answered. <laughs> but actually, I don't think he was going to give me an answer because he started, he stopped laughing like kind of slowly, and then he was like, "Yeah, no."
0: <laughs> Literally, all their players get the flu. Every single one of
1: them. Yeah, you could poison their food. I don't know. Anyway, so we got that going on. Um, so I don't know. It was I found it to be an interesting interview. So I guess. We'll just get right into it. Matt Corral was not at Old Miss Practice yesterday. He was seen walking around in a green jersey before they got on the practice field and then he kinda went off into the treatment room. So I you know, that's fairly significant. I, I would say he could I would say he could afford to miss practice yesterday and if he practices Wednesday, that would hint at him playing. If he misses today, which we obviously won't know until about five or six o'clock tonight. I don't know if he. I don't know how you play him. I, I mean, of course, I guess I really there's a world where he, where he practices Thursday or whatever. I mean, I guess at this point he doesn't really need to. But I mean, at the same time, I, I, I just it seems increasingly more unlikely. John Rice Plumley was getting reps with the first team. That's not really shocking. We requested to talk to John Rice Plumley after practice. That request. Let me guess is, how that went. Yeah, that well. I mean, for the most I mean, that's not even a, a bit out there request, and then at last minute it was a coach's decision that apparently he was not able to talk to the media. so hooray for widespread college program paranoia for completely irrational and unknown reasons. doomed do? about all the money that Miss paid to him.: Yeah, exactly. It's just a big, fat effing waste of time. That's the way so we, what yesterday was. There is one storyline that matters, and guess what? You not don't get to talk to him. So, it yay, do? college paranoia. No, it doesn't do anyone any good. I'll cut you off. I won't even let you finish the question. It does no one any good. It's just stupid paranoia.
0: That's not what I was going to ask. To be fair, uh, uh I was going to say, does it really even matter? Like, if Corral doesn't play, I, I don't really know if I would read anything. Like, if Corral doesn't play, I still think he probably is the starter against Vanderbilt, unless Plumley just goes out and torches Alabama, which I don't see.
1: Well, okay, so that's what – that's what. hold that thought for a second because I asked Brett Hudson about that. I think there's a way that happens, not torches him, but we'll get into that in a second because Alabama's defense has been vulnerable this year, uh, it, particularly some in, in uh, against the uh, kind of intermediate passing game. Teams have really kind of dinked and dunked it on them a little bit, and they've been susceptible to running quarterbacks. We'll get to all that in a second. I'm not suggesting he's torching the uh, – He's going to torch the Alabama defense.
0: You got to have a receiver to go make a play. I mean, I guess Elijah Moore can. But.
1: I mean, yeah, but anyway, we'll get to that in a second. So, if Corral doesn't play, I think you have to play Grant Tisdale as well as John Rice yes. Plumley. I think Tisdale has earned those reps. I did a hit on Chase and Them's podcast. Uh, I guess that was hell. I don't know when they ran it. It may have been yesterday. It may have been Wednesday. I don't know. But we were talking. Me and Chase were talking about that as well because. Plumlee got in the game a little bit just by – I don't want to say by complete chance, but they wanted a design run play, and they put him in the game for that, and then things just kind of took off after that. So, like, it's not like Grant Tisdale – I mean, I'm sure he wasn't necessarily – I mean, if you're if you're just guessing here deep down selfishly. I bet he's not necessarily thrilled with how that turned out. I'm not saying he's a selfish kid or anything like that. But like if you're in that position, that's kind of a weird thing because you think you're kind of ahead, you're the backup, and then boom, that happens. But I think he's my point overall point in this, I think he's earned the reps. I think he's earned a shot just as much as Plumley has. Plumlee just kind of happened to get the chance to do it on the field for a very short amount of time. If Corral can't play, the scoreboard isn't gonna matter in this game. I think you play both of them.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's fair to Tisdale to not play him. And, then, look, I know John Rice Plumlee looked good on Saturday, but, I mean, how, how can he not play the kid, the four-star kid from Allen that you said all count was the backup quarterback? Yeah. Uh, that feels like a good way to lose a, lose a kid to a transfer. So, yeah, I would expect to see both on, on uh, Saturday.
1: Yeah, and you say the word fair. A lot of coaches don't operate that way, but Matt Luke certainly does. Hell, Michael Howard is still alternating series with Nick Broker. <laughs> So And so sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. I'm not really saying one way or another on either one of those cases, but you have a coach that definitely factors in fair, and yeah. I think that's worth pointing out. That being said, let's flip, shift it to the other side of the argument, and let's say we know right now that Corral's going to play. I don't know that. I'm speculating. Please don't spread that anywhere as, like, you know, a uh, talk reporter says Corral's going to play.
0: If you had to guess, does he play or not?
1: I'm at fifty-fifty. If he doesn't practice today, I don't think he plays.
0: I, I'm on about, I'm about sixty-five, thirty-five. No.
1: Well, if he pra- if he practices today, I think he plays.
0: Well, yeah, but I don't think he practices that.
1: I don't know. It's it's interesting because he was out there for a time, and just didn't go through the full, uh, didn't go through the actual part of practice. Wednesday, is a, I would imagine, is a bigger scheme day for Alabama because they don't let us into practice at all. It's shorter. Yesterday they work on some of the stuff that they didn't do all well the week before. They hit, they tackle. It's a much longer, grueling type practice because it is their first real practice of the week. Because they do whatever on Sunday, and then they're off on Monday because you have a required off day. So like, I think today is telling because if you miss today, that seems to really indicate that this is really, I don't know if this is going to happen. So, I don't know. I'd like to see what happens today before making a decision. I guess I could be slightly swayed that it's probably a little more that he doesn't because he missed practice yesterday. But it wouldn't shock me if he played at all on Saturday based off just what we know right now. Um, I'll kind of keep an eye on that. But let's just say he does play. How does it get handled? Do you play both quarterbacks? Because at at Monday, Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke left the opportunity open for both quarterbacks to play if healthy. And I'm saying both quarterbacks. I'm saying Plumlee. And Corral, not Plumley and Tisdale. Hell, you may see all three. But even if he is healthy, I think you might see both quarterbacks play. How does that turn out? Like, how, what is that dynamic? And then you—it's really you're two weeks away from understanding how this is actually all going to flesh out. Because basically, the best way I could frame it—and I asked Chase this question the other day—is like, does let's just skip ahead a little bit. I know I'm jumping around here. Let's skip ahead to Vanderbilt. Does Matt Corral survive another quarter? If he has another quarter like the third quarter against Cal, against Vanderbilt, if that happens in quarter one or quarter number two against Vanderbilt, does he survive it without getting pulled? I would lean no.
0: Absolutely not. I I would lean no. I, d- I don't think he can. I don't I don't think this fan base is it's already you know depressed. Uh, you play like that for a quarter and get your team down ten to nothing, and you have no life on offense. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't see any way he survives that. I, I think they would go to Plumlee quick in that uh, in that scenario.
1: Yeah, because if you lose to Vanderbilt, the entire outlook on really the way this, the direction this program's going, and really just the way this, I mean, season program, whatever you want to call it, I mean, you, it, it's totally different if you lose that
0: game. Well, it's, it's if you lose to Vanderbilt, you're going three and nine, right? Because if you can't beat Vanderbilt at home, how, how in the hell are you going to Como and winning or Starble and winning?
1: Yeah, I... I I, I mean, I mean you're, you're not. I mean, that... that, that and you, you put, and if you can't beat Vanderbilt at home, you're just done. Y- yeah, I mean, you're not. Who, who else are you beating other than New Mexico State?
0: Yeah, I, well, I don't... If you lose to Vanderbilt at home, I don't think you're keeping a game within two touchdowns. Like, I think at that point... You just kind of are a, a very bad football team. Now that being said, maybe put a gun to my head right now. I think Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt by seven to ten or so.
1: I haven't. Um, I, I, I didn't. I, I haven't seen enough Vanderbilt to know. And like, I feel like people have said that in the past, particularly when Ole Miss. It's a little different, particularly when Ole Miss goes up there. But like, I, again, if you lose that game, I don't really know what you do. Like, I, I, I don't. Oh, man. Uh, well, I don't... You're going 3-9 and nine if you lose that game.
0: Yeah, and then you're... like, as, as much as we talk about having no leadership, you start having a conversation about change. Like, I, 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 At that point, I don't know how they would avoid it.
1: Yeah, at least the conversation. Not, I mean, I don't know how you'd yeah. avoid it. But anyway, jumping back to the game that has to be played this week, the battle for first place in the SEC West. Good point. I I guess we we've, we've hit that enough to what I asked Brett about and what you'll hear in a second is what happens if like because teams have moved the football on Alabama decently well like they're they're missing Dylan Moses they're missing oh shoot the other kid the 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 other linebacker they had injured is escaping me right now oh shoot oh Joshua McMillan excuse me they lose both of them they don't really have much experience on the defensive line as is. Like, they're starting a bunch of freshmen and sophomores in the front seven. The secondary's a little more experienced. But even Alabama's backups in the front seven at linebacker and defensive and defensive uh, on the defensive line are really, really young. And I don't think Nick Saban's had this amount of youth on a defense ever. Like, as far as it being so widespread, that being said, Ryan Helensky did some, or excuse me, the what's the younger Helensky's name? Yeah. It uh, is Ryan Helensky, are you sure? Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure. 98%
1: sure. So he did some nice things against against Alabama. Duke moved it incrementally well. What happens when, like, if, if John if Matt Caron doesn't play, John Rice, Pumley, and George Slash, Tisdale come in and move the football okay, maybe Pumley puts in a couple scores late or a score too late, you know, 45-14, whatever you want the score to be. That, that's not really the point here. What does that do going in the dynamic of next week if he moved the football against you know big bad Alabama? Even though in all actuality, if you look at the tape, Alabama's defense has been susceptible to giving up yards.
0: And in, in this hypothetical, Matt Corral plays and doesn't play well.
1: No, no, no. This is if if it's just Plumley. I you can go either way. Let's start first. Matt Corral does not play, and it's Plumley or, or Tisdale the whole game, or like if both. Matt of them.
0: Corral does not play. I think Matt Corral is the starter against Vanderbilt. If Matt Corral plays and does not play well, and John Rice Plumlee and or Grant Tisdell plays well, I do not think he's the starter against Vanderbilt.
1: Yeah, I just, I don't know if it... Yeah, I, I guess that's true.
0: No, all of them suck, I think Matt Corral is the quarterback against Vanderbilt.
1: Which is probably more likely than not, because yeah. what you're missing here is that while Alabama has been susceptible against the run a little bit against the intermediate passing game, you got to have people to block against their defensive line or Ole Miss doesn't have that very much of that?
0: No, no. no. Not much blocking going to happen on Saturday for the Rebels.
1: No, it is uh, It is not. So, I don't know. It's an interesting game because it's essentially like a midseason, preseason, like tune-up game where you don't really have to focus on the scoreboard. I'm not going to spin this as like, hey, it's a blessing Ole Miss is going over to Bryant Diddy to get his brains beat in on the road. But it is kind of interesting that they have a, in a in a at a point in the season where they somewhat unexpectedly need to figure some stuff out at quarterback, among other things. Having a game where the scoreboard isn't necessarily going to be in question, it's just kind of the opposite. And normally you're playing an FCS team and beating the bricks yeah. off of them. I mean, it's a, it's a it's it's interesting. They could be they could get killed and figure some stuff out this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just a normal tune-up game, you know, New Mexico State, southeastern Louisiana, Alabama. Uh, I mean, you're right. The scoreboard in the third quarter is not going to be relevant. Uh, at least I don't think it's going to be relevant. I, I think that, well, I, I, let me phrase it like this. What constitutes a win for Matt Luke this weekend? Not from like a program perspective. What does he want to get out of this team on Saturday?
1: I uh. <laughs> clarity at the quarterback position. I don't okay. know, but I don't know what that is because if. But I think in an ideal world, Corral in in Matt Luke's mind, Corral plays and he plays well, and Ole Miss wins. Lo- excuse me, Ole Miss loses <laughs> the game like forty five twenty one or something like it's forty five fourteen. Corral leaves a scoring drive late. The scoreboard doesn't look awful, kind of like South Carolina ish.
0: Yeah, 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 I'm with you. I I think at the end of the day, if you put truth's theorem in Matt Luke, what he would like is for Matt Corral to play quarterback for all 12 games this year and to play it well. I think that's the best case for this program. Now, he's got to go do that.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, Matt Corral's a redshirt freshman who has played a grand total of four games. And so... One, do you want to pull the plug on him that quickly? Because people forget the program needed momentum after Matt Luke got the full time job. You know, that had a mixed bag reaction. They needed to have a decent early signing period, and him signing was a huge momentum roller for the program. And it was perceived as Matt Luke hitched his wagons to this guy. So, are you really going to give up on him after four games? Already, but at the same time, he's only a year older than these other kids. And if if, if Plumley or Tisdale, and I guess for the sake of the argument, just for right now, we'll say Plumley is playing better, why would you not roll with him? Because the season is a little bit lost anyway. Like it's just you got to make a hard. I mean, a hard. I mean, I wrote after the game on Saturday that some tough decisions lie ahead in the coming weeks, and I think this is one of them. Because it, I'm not trying to knock Corral really, but if you look at his recruiting history and all of that, Dan Mullen let him walk, and Dan Mullen is playing a quarterback that had not started a game since 10th grade. So if he thought Dan, if Dan Mullen thought he could help the team behind Felipe Franks, don't you think they would have made room for him? Um,
0: that's, okay, that's a little bit of a weird scenario. Because uh, let me let me phrase it like this. Tyler Russell was a five-star quarterback for Meridian. He didn't fit Dan's system. Is it possible that crowd didn't fit the type system that Mullen wanted to run?
1: I guess that's certainly possible. But again, Kyle Trask hasn't played a... Hadn't started a game since 10th grade or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, but like it's
0: not like... I mean, Kyle Trask isn't a walk-on quarterback either. He has his own scholarship.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I just find it interesting. So... It's a hell of a situation because do you do you pull the plug on the guy that you kinda thought you're you're gonna build your program around well, for the next three or four years for a relatively undersized quarterback? I mean Plumbie's a small guy in terms of football, like let's
0: you know, not beat around the bush here either. If you bench Matt Corral uh for good, Matt Corral's not here next year,
1: right? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. If you pull the plug permanently, there's no going back. And that's yeah, why they're no, not – not that they would do it anyway, because you haven't seen enough from Plumlee anyway. But let's just say Plumlee had played a half and lit it on fire and Ole Miss wins the game and all that. I don't think they're pulling the plug now anyway because there's no point in doing, having, making a drastic decision heading into this game right now because no. once you do it, there really is no going back. Yeah, yeah.
0: Once, once you bench the guy that everybody's expected to be the quarterback, then you're not getting him back. Yeah. Um, I don't even think he would be your backup quarterback at that point. I I think if you pull the plug on Matt Corral, it's, it's just kinda over at that point.
1: But at the same uh, time, Matt Corral's been fine this year. I know people are irritated at the inaccuracy yeah. stuff, but he's been fine. His numbers are fine. He it, I mean it's it's really indisputable. He's been fine. There's just been enough there's been enough bad leaking in that there you can make that that, that you've you've kind of left the door open. But, like, it's not, he's played fine and he's gotten better every single game. That's not really disputable. No,
0: it's not. But I think a, a, an argument could be made that he's not the best fit for this system at quarterback on this team.
1: I mean, I guess, but he's had fine success running the ball. His decision-making issue, I mean, he has a little bit of a decision-making issues at times, and I think that's what's really plagued him along with some inaccuracies.
0: Yeah, I mean... Well, look, I don't necessarily disagree that he's been okay. There is a reason we are having this conversation, too. Yeah,
1: but there's but there's there's layers of nuance to it. We were looking up last Saturday. He's seventy. He's completing seventy seven percent of his passes upon his first read, and it drops off going into the Cal Game Saturday, and it dropped off to like thirty something percent after that when he holds the ball longer than two and a half seconds or whatever and he has to go to a second read now does that mean he's not going to a second read well does that mean he's not that that also could mean his offensive line sucks which it does so how much do you factor that in there because when his first options open he's quite accurate that's really indisputable well
0: no i mean yeah it certainly is but i think I think part of it is the offensive line sucks. And I think part of it is he struggles to go through progressions on a consistent basis. I think both can be kind of true at the same time. But how
1: many redshirt freshman quarterbacks don't struggle to go through progressions in, to some degree?
0: Well, I mean, sure. But in, in, in the same breath, I mean, there's a reason that that Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke are planning on playing downright Plumley, regardless of whether he's healthy or not, too. I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting situation, simply because, like you said, he's played fine, but he's also not played well enough to to, to cement his position as the starting quarterback at Ole Miss, either.
1: Yeah, but like I don't think, like it, I don't think the question would be left open if, in terms and from the coaches from from Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke, if Plumlee had done anything else but go 7-for-7 seven seven and essentially lead two scoring drives. I know I'm not trying to throw a shade at the call or whatever at the end. He got him down to the one. They would have scored if the clock hadn't run out, like my point. Right. He, he was moving the ball up and down the field. But the, see, what, what's, what's the misconception about that, and like fans get so emotionally charged into it, he was 7-for-7, seven seven and six of those passes were underneath routes that Cal wasn't playing a pull on prevent, but they were playing very soft coverage because of the situation in the game.
0: Yeah, I mean that, and that's certainly fair. And do I think John Rice Pumley is the next coming with Chad Kelly? No, I, I don't. I do. Think I don't think
1: you a, know either way.
0: Well, yeah, I mean certainly fair. I look. I think the kick will play football. Um, I think for a fan base, after they get popped against Alabama, if Matt Corral struggles, they're just going to be looking for anything different. That's like it's going to be the, the calling card of the fan base Is just change everything. So I think at that point they go to Plumlee and, and let it roll at that point. Um, and I don't necessarily know if that's all Matt Corral's fault or if it's just the point where, it's, where the program is that and something's got to give and something has to be different if you're down 13-3 to against Vanderbilt going into the second quarter.
1: Yeah, what's interesting about Corral's numbers, so the first game, 9 of 19, 47% of his passes. He was
0: very bad against Memphis.
1: Yeah, but that was a that that was a factor of a lot of different things. I mean, they yeah. couldn't run the ball worth the damn. He was literally running for his life in most of those things. It's not com- he's not completely absolved from blame there, but that a lot of that was outside of his control. Whether it was play calling the offensive line, all that. Next week against Arkansas, sixteen to twenty four, two forty six two scores. I don't no turnovers or no well,
0: no, uh, okay. <laughs>
1: The the fumble to Cooley was kind of on him. Yeah, same thing. But I, I guess no interceptions. I'm looking at that right. way. Southeastern Louisiana, twenty-one to thirty-two, thirty-nine, two scores. Cal sixteen to twenty-three in the first half, and then he finishes the 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 rest of his game. Six of eighteen. Oof. But. Again, how many 19-year-old kids and how many 19-year-old quarterbacks aren't going to have stretches like that with what he's working with around him?
0: I mean, I I get what you're saying, but look, Ole Miss fans have not seen a quarterback develop over time in a long, long time. Crap, I think Eli would be the last one, frankly. Um, uh, Yeah, I guess Eli would be the last one. So, yes, it does take time, and, and kids do get better. I think what you've got to you've got to look for if you're an Ole Miss fan with this Matt Krause thing is okay. How does he get better going through progression? Yeah, I think you've got to see improvement because if if everything's stagnant and there's not improvement, that's where I think you become sort of frustrated.
1: Yeah, I guess that's kind of my point though. Is like you've seen improvement every game except for that third quarter against well, Cal. Yeah, but the, the, the third quarter happened too. Now, no, like, I'm not discounting it. But like along the way, you can go, you can progress, 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 get knocked back a peg, and then progress, progress, progress. Like you can't, like, I mean, you, you I mean there's no, there's, there's, there was never not going to be a point in the year where he took a step back in terms of having bad game, having whatever. I don't know. I just I, they're in an interesting dynamic. I think you'll know more after this week. You'll really know more in two weeks. I don't know. We've kind of beat that into the ground. Let's get Who do to they play
2: after
0: Vanderbilt?
1: Uh at Missouri. Oh. So let's, uh, let's get to the Brett Hudson interview Then we'll come back and talk about some other stuff And wrap stuff up Brett, smart guy, does a really good job covering football For Alabama I think he covers all sports there I didn't mean it just like that But really smart guy, knows a lot of football Here's Brett Hudson Alright, and we now welcome on Brett Hudson Brett is a former Mississippi State beat writer And he now covers Alabama uh, How is the new job, by the way? I can still call it new, right? You're only a couple weeks in yeah,
2: yeah. I've only been here. I've been here for less than a month, so I'd, I'd say it's new. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different. You know, they uh, they have a an anti media machine rolling it at Alabama, and that's definitely <laughs> different from the way it is at the uh, at the hated rival for for many of your listeners. And I definitely get less Ole Miss talk in my mentions now than, <laughs> than I used to, which is a a change of pace. But no, it's uh, it's it's a good time. It's just been kind of boring these first. Few weeks of the year because Alabama's been doing what they generally do, which is kicking the crap out of everybody they face until probably November. Sorry, old Miss fans, I don't think I'm telling you anything <laughs> you don't already know. Um, but it's been it's been boring to, to be honest. They just they just do their Alabama thing every every single year.
1: Yeah, so I, I probably didn't give you the full proper intro there there. You worked you what, you covered state for the Columbus Dispatch for all and then you covered them for Matt Wyatt Media and then you are now with the Tuscaloosa News and TideSports.com. dot com. You can follow Brett Hudson at underscore B R E T T or excuse me, B R. E. T. T. underscore Hudson on Twitter. <laughs> you can find him at the Tuscaloosa News website, all kinds of places. Um a little better intro there, but <laughs> Sorry. I, I guess uh, I guess getting started. Uh, it's interesting to me watching watching Alabama's defense because as dynamic as they are on offense, I know they had some preseason injuries. Some teams have moved the ball on them a little bit more than we're accustomed to seeing. Is there a common thread in that from what you've seen? Why is that kind of the case?
2: Yeah, I, I think it goes back to the the injury you mentioned, particularly in the defensive front. You know, the secondary is still. Rock solid, you've got some experienced, high talent there and Xavier McKinney and Patrick Sertan II, um, Trayvon Diggs. and McKinney and uh, Sertan II in particular have been able to move around to different positions in the defense, so they've been able to put some of the less experienced of that group, the Shaheen Carters, although he's got a little bit of experience, the Jared Maidens, the Jordan Battles of the world. They've been able to put them in positions where they've been able to to be successful, because they can move guys like McKinney and Sertan the second around, uh to fit that to fit their best needs, they don't have that luxury in their front. Uh, people used to call it a front seven, but let's be honest; these days it's a front six, if not a front five, more often than not. In that front six, they don't have that that luxury. They lost two linebackers in the preseason: Dylan Moses and Joshua McMillan, who were probably going to be their starters on the inside, and and Dylan Moses is possibly still a first-round draft pick caliber guy, even after tearing his ACL and and not going to play in this his junior season. Uh, So they've had to put two freshmen on the inside there, Shane Lee and uh, Christian Harris, and they've kind of rotated a Washington transfer, Ale Cajo, in there at times, but all of them are very green in college football, and then with LeBrian Ray, one of the few veteran presidents on the defensive line, having a foot injury. He's going to be out until sometime in November. You've got two freshmen starting on the defensive line for Alabama these days. It's Justin be on the edge and D.J. Dale in the interior with the, the veteran presence being the Mississippi native Raquan Davis on, on the other edge. So really, when, when you see teams do kind of nickel and dime Alabama and move the ball, bits and pieces as South Carolina did, as Duke did at times, uh, as Southern Miss did even on a possession or two, it's because there's just so much inexperience in the front seven that you can game them and mind trick them and do things to them that you aren't expecting Alabama to allow just because they're so young and inexperienced. And the coaching staff is kind of working through that. They took one of those freshman linebackers, Christian Harris, out of their three-two-six dime package and put an experienced Anthony Jennings in there to kind of lessen the workload on Christian Harris in terms of his mental preparation week in, week out. So you're seeing the coaching staff do some things like that to try to help this this very young, inexperienced front six along, but at a certain point it's just inexperienced and they have to they have to find a way to live with it.
1: That's what's interesting to me is like you've seen it seems like for the last like four or five off seasons, you've seen A linebacker or some significant player in Alabama's front seven go down and you know the storyline is a younger guy has to step up but it's it seems a little more I guess a little more widespread than it's been in years past because you even mentioned on the back end of the depth chart like the you know you get into there too deep whether it's on the defensive line or particularly middle linebacker and inside linebacker it's a lot of freshmen and sophomores I imagine on that grand scheme of things that's a little something different than Saban's accustomed to just having that youth I guess expand as far and wide as it has up front
2: yeah I mean he's he said that in the past and he doesn't think he's ever uh, definitely at Alabama and if not in his entire coaching career that he's ever had to start a defense as as young as the one that he's starting right now um, and it, it's just gonna create a different way for for Alabama to win. We expect Alabama to win, but we never expect Alabama to do it this way where it's not to. The full extent of the recent Oklahoma model, where they're the best offense in the country and number like 118 or worse in defense, but they kind of balance out to the point that the offense wins those battles and, and Oklahoma ends up winning games 56 to 42. You know, I don't, I don't think Alabama's going to go all the way to the extremity of that model, but there are going to be some games like that South Carolina game two weeks ago they won that game forty seven to twenty three or, or something like that. Just kind of a, a strange score for for Alabama against a, a mid tier SEC team. But that's gonna that's gonna be the NO for this team unless something drastically changes in, in the defense, which is possible, but I don't anticipate that. So that's kind of the, the model for Alabama this year is to jump up on opponents big with their high octane explosive offense and and give the defense a little wiggle room to give up 17, 20 points against the, the mid-tier SEC teams on their schedule. And once you face an LSU or an Auburn or someone or Georgia or someone like that, maybe give up 28, 31, 35, but still win the game because your offense puts 49 points on the board. That's kind of the, the model Alabama has to follow this year unless something changes on the defense, which, again, I don't anticipate that.
1: Yeah, here's a great question. Give me five reasons why Ole Miss will win because they can score. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just screwing with you. uh, you, As you kind of just transitioned there, jumping to the other side of the football is really where this kind of fascinates me. Uh, You've seen the the kind of blueprint for Alabama in years past. They kind of bludgeon you with defense. They run the ball a lot. And then you've kind of got a quarterback that doesn't really make mistakes, can make enough throws to win football games. And that's kind of been their model. And that's really transitioned, I would say, from 2016-ish on, maybe 2017, somewhere in there. Yeah. You could argue they started recruiting a little bit differently, particularly at quarterback. I mean, we were talking about this yesterday, waiting at practice. I mean, between Judy, Ruggs, Waddle, uh, you name it. I, I'm not asking you to play college football historian here and talk about where they rank among receiving corps in the last little bit, but can you sense everyone there kind of gets an idea of just how special that group is?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the the story came out thanks to some nice uh, sideline uh, filming work from a, a I Hunt saw School <laughs> uh, TV reporter. Yeah, they're, they're playing rock, paper, scissors to determine <laughs> where on the field they go because they know that a touchdown is coming to a a certain position pretty quickly and they're playing rock, paper, scissors to, to figure it out. And, and a lot of people have, have made their jokes and had fun with, with that. But I think it's indicative of not only the talent in this wide receiving core that they know any of them can turn one play into a touchdown, but also that they're so versatile and they can all play the different positions and, and Alabama is traditionally and eleven personnel team, which means they have at least one tight end on the field on almost all of their snaps. Sometimes two. So of the top four receivers, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs the third, and Jalen Waddell, one of them is off the field almost all the time. That just that just tells you how ridiculously loaded this Alabama receiving core is, and the options with them are are endless. I mean, because they they have the speed and the route running ability to run some of the pro style passing concepts that they're trying to work into the the system this year so they can straight up out scheme you but they also don't need to because they can run just pretty basic quick game rpo stuff just basic slants murdered south carolina and southern miss in the last two weeks because in that rpo it's all based on creating the one-on-one matchup right so you get a guy like henry ruggs the third arguably the fastest player in college football right now i know anthony schwartz at auburn has a pretty good case for that too but if you get him in a one-on-one situation thanks to the structure of an RPO on a slant he's already going to beat the guy who's in man coverage with him and odds are once he gets two steps after the catch he's going to beat the safety playing over the top so it's, it's there's just no good way to defend this uh to defend this passing attack right now and I was kind of waiting for someone to dedicate themselves to the pass and force Alabama to run. I was kind of waiting on that because their offensive line had showed some leaks early in the year and and Nick Saban had a critique of of running backs not running the track and hitting the hole correctly but against Southern Miss they showed more designed run concepts. You saw pulling guards and basic gap scheme plays and Najee Harris ended that game averaging almost 8 yards a carry. Now it was against Southern Miss. It's going to get more difficult than that but the fact that Alabama is showing a willingness to just run the ball down someone's throat when they feel like they can or they feel like they need to kind of shows that there is room for growth in this offense as it moves forward into October and November.
1: The receiving core is really where this is game is going to get out of hand because what's yep. uh, what's going to be surprise what's been surprising to me so far is that Ole Miss's defense, you kind of had this I don't want to say it's a false narrative, but you had a narrative that they were drastically improved because of the way they played the first two games, and they were, but, I mean, you're you're improving from a very low benchmark in the sense that people were excited that they were lined up right and getting plays in correctly and tackling better, which is just kind of basic fundamental stuff. But what's been surprising to me is that they have a lot of veteran guys in the secondary, and the secondary's really been just torched over the first three games. I mean, they made Chase Garber's Cal's quarterback, Look a little bit like Johnny Manziel. I mean, Garber set four career highs last week. I mean, and he was coming off a game in which he had nine completions against North Texas. And it's so it, that's really, if this game is going to get out of hand quickly, it's going to be because Alabama is going to strike on big plays. And I say all that to say, Tua, he, it's, it, it was interesting watching the end of last year and you kind of saw him get some criticism. He got injured in the Georgia game. There were questions as to how healthy he was at the end of the year. I know you weren't covering the program last year, but in your mind, what has been the biggest difference so far this year from the end of last year?
2: Yeah, well, I think it kind of goes back to those criticisms of, of Tua you mentioned. That he was a little too, uh, I don't know if aggressive is the word, somewhere in between aggressive and reckless. is Whatever word is in between those two is the one I'm, I'm searching for. He was a little... Too proactive in in terms of trying to create something big when something intermediate to small is is the right play and and he's he's worked on that a lot now part of that goes back to like I mentioned earlier with the one on ones and the RPOs all you got to do is throw a slant to Henry Rose the third he can take it for seventy five yards you don't have to force a football into a keyhole forty yards down the field to create a, a touchdown in in this offense this year you just don't have to. To do that, but to, to his credit, he understands that, and he he's taking the easy throw, uh, especially in the RPOs where he's got probably the best wide receiver core in America in one-on-one situations. That's bad news for opposing defenses in any circumstance. So, to Tua, to, uh, I think that's basically the the difference. The, the phrase we've heard him say a few times now is, "You can't go broke taking a profit." He's he's willing to make the easy throws for someone like him who's so ridiculously accurate, the slants and the quick game, the outs, things like that. Even basic screens have gone for big plays in this offense recently just because the wide receiver talent is so good. So, two, is more likely to just take the very obvious throw that's there. One, because he realizes that's the hole in his game and he's trying to develop that, but also once again, on the wide receivers, there's no real incentive to force things because very basic things turn into into touchdowns with, not only with this Alabama offense, but also with, with the Ole Miss defense. I, I made a similar point to the point you just made about the defense on, on our podcast, the Bama Beat, where this the defense is clearly showing signs of progress just in terms of organization, right? Like they know where to look and where to stand and all those things, but I don't, I don't have to tell the listeners of your podcast that the, <laughs> the defensive recruiting at Ole Miss over the last five years has been nothing short of abysmal. There's, there's just no talent on that side of, of the football yet, and it, it shows. So they're, they're a little bit better, but the talent is going to be a, a serious issue because it all goes back to one-on-ones with these wide receivers. Mm. Most secondaries are going to lose those almost every time, and, and Ole Miss is in that group.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, and this is a conversation for another day, but a lot of that is still a freeze thing. It's drifting more so towards the Matt Luke problem, but there's still some remnants of that being a freeze problem, their lack of defensive talent. I would say that was definitely more so the case in 16-17, a little bit in 18, but it's still there. But th- that's an interesting point you make because that is certainly the case. I'm just more surprised. Like if you have told me at this point in the year Ole Miss defense sucks because they're giving up nine yards a carry on the ground, that would shock me less than how bad they've been in the secondary just because they have some veteran pieces. Jalen Jones, I don't know how healthy that knee is. You know, Jalen Julius, Kedron Smith's a guy that played a lot. That's what's been surprising to me. Transitioning back to the other side a little bit, I, I don't know how much Ole Miss you've watched this year But the end of that Cal game created a very odd dynamic because Corral goes out with the rib injury. John Rice-Palmy comes in and really not only kind of sparks an offense that had kind of really just sputtered in the second half, but ignited a crowd from the people that were there, and people got excited. And I don't think it was just because he broke a big run. I think people wanted to see something different. I think they've grown frustrated with Corral's inaccuracy, fair, unfair, whatever. I, I say all of that to say Corral misses practice yesterday, if he doesn't go today, which obviously we don't know yet, I'm not really sure how you play him on Saturday with bruised ribs against that defense. I say all that to say, they're, I don't think they want to move off Corral because when Matt Luke signed him, I think he hitched his wagons to him. He's a 19-year-old kid. It's going to take time for him to develop. But if you play Plumlee in this game, and as we talked about at the beginning of this, it, there's been room for opponents and competent quarterbacks to move the ball incrementally against Alabama. And if he leads a couple scoring drives and puts one or two in the end zone late in this game's you know, I don't know, 45-14 or something like that, and they have a couple scores late, that creates a very odd dynamic going into Vanderbilt. And just in, in, from your opinion, it sounds like there's room for that to be the case where probably obviously, this is a, almost like a preseason tune-up game in the middle of the season. It's, it's a very odd thing but in a game where you're not necessarily focused on winning and focused on the scoreboard if he comes in and has a moderate amount of success which it sounds like he could I, I think that could create a weird dynamic heading into the Vanderbilt game what, what just I, from your you know 10,000 foot view what are your thoughts on that because I think it could happen no you you make
2: some some good points and I think I'd have to, to pose the question to you who is the more well-rounded runner of the two
1: I think it's plumly because I think there's a reason Rich Rod wanted him there. To Matt yeah, that's,
2: that's what I've heard as well. Yeah,
1: and to Matt Carrell's credit, he's been a fine runner. I think that was probably the question mark when Rich Rod's scheme kind of started being implemented. Can he run enough? Can he be willing enough? That Corral's been fine. He's been competent running the ball. I would say better than most expected. But this is kind of like what Plumlee does. It's what he did in high school. I mean, it's partially why there were other schools that wanted him to play receiver. And he came to Ole Miss because they promised him he could play quarterback. And I think that like that's why Richrod wanted him. So I would say Plumlee, but you still haven't seen enough. That's why I'm a little hesitant.
2: Well, then, if that's the case, then I do, to get back to your point, I do think there's an opportunity for – Plumley to to make a, a few things happen here and there against Alabama and try to make the case for for himself going forward not because of the whole you gotta have a running quarterback to beat Bama myth that's that's total crap I'm not trying to throw gasoline on that fire but it goes back to the exact problems that this year's defense is struggling with thanks to all of the and, and just how simple they have to be within their scheme on the defensive side of the ball, because there are so many guys that are freshmen and, and new in, and new entrance to the defense. Therefore, they don't have the complete mastery of the entire defense. They have to keep things somewhat simple, and again, they can be easily distracted or confused by by certain things. And having a well-rounded runner, someone that can run in different ways and, and improvise in different ways, is probably a useful tool when you're trying to confuse freshman linebackers and freshman defensive ends. So I would imagine that all of that matches up for Plumlee to at least have the opportunity to do some positive things against Alabama's defense, if he's in fact given the opportunity.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll play – if Corral's ruled out and he's not healthy, what will be really interesting is I think they'll play Tisdale some too because – Tisdale was seen as the backup quarterback heading into the year just because he came in the spring. He was a little ahead as far as, you know, playbook wise, kind of mastering the scheme. And I think he's earned that right. Plumley literally just went in kind of by chance. I say kind of by chance. They thought Corral was going to be out for a play or two. They wanted a design run, so they put Plumley in, which kind of cements the point you and I were just trying to make about his running prowess. And then it just kind of took off from there. So in a game where there's not a whole lot interesting to watch, I'll be interested to watch that. Finishing up and closing, I'd like to get some big-picture thoughts from you. It's interesting watching LSU this year because you've you've heard for, what, a decade now, LSU's going to run the spread this year. They're really going to open it up. Like, no one really believes it at this point. And then it really happened, and they appear to be – Clicking on all cylinders offensively. Conceptually, there's no question it's different. Joe Burrow is throwing the ball with more accuracy. He's throwing it better. He's he's a much better driver of the football downfield than I think maybe people saw last year. But they've kind of been less than bashful about what their aspirations are this year. Kind of who they're gunning for. And I think that's obviously no secret. It's Alabama. They're looking forward to that game. You haven't seen as much of that on the Alabama side. Probably because Alabama's the greatest dynasty we've seen in college football, perhaps ever, and this is just kind of another year, but can you get the sense I know they probably don't talk about it a lot, can you get the sense that they kind of feel there's a real threat here, like there really hasn't been in the last couple of years?
2: yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of refreshing to go back to the days of two thousand, probably two thousand nine through two thousand twelve or thirteen or so where Alabama season came down to the LSU game. If, if they won that game, they had a, a really good shot to, to go forward to Atlanta to the SEC championship game and then further to uh, the potential of a national championship. And over the past probably four years or so, that hasn't been the case. I, I like to, to, to make the comparison with LSU's offense. They remind me of the kid playing pickup basketball who's like four inches taller, than literally everyone else on the court, <laughs> but he'll just stand outside and pop threes and brick them all day. And everybody else on the team is like, if you would go inside, you'd get easy layups and you'd get buckets all day. It's a solid And analogy. LSU has finally taken that 6'4 kid and put him in the lane and let him take layups all day. Like, they finally discovered this weird little thing called the forward pass, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're good. It's weird how that worked out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I had a- it is. It is kind of refreshing to, to have an Alabama season come down to, or at least we expect it to come down to, an LSU game that is definitely going to look very different from, from the ones that we've seen in, in the past. I think when you, when you think of the, the heights of the Alabama-LSU rivalry and it coming down to and the national championship chase often, being heavily influenced by the result of that game, everyone remembers nine to six in overtime and in the twenty-one to nothing national championship game thereafter. But there are a lot of just total slugfest defensively for for those two teams going up against each other, and that's not going to be the case this year. That these are two high octane offenses being supported by defenses that have shown limited, but issues all the same. In, in their first third of the season, so it's, it's definitely a matchup that's being heavily talked about here in Tuscaloosa, obviously not uh, within the program or by the people that are inside of it, because they're, they're all the whole one one game at a time robots type deal, but it, it's definitely, it, it's just nice, like I said, it's just nice to have that matchup mean that much again, where fans are looking forward to that LSU game from middle of September, which
1: they are. Yeah, I had a buddy a while back who who was a he's a Georgia alum, but he he, he was from Baton Rouge and he I think he made the point that like for the last decade of LSU quarterbacks he's like you get off I twenty and you're no longer allowed to use your arms. It's just something about it. That they <laughs> just haven't been able to recruit quarterbacks and now they've got one. Last thing I'll get from you, you, you cover Mississippi State. You did a hell of a job doing that for the time you were there, and then you move on to a much different type of college program. It's, you know, a, one of the great dynasties we've seen in the sport. Maybe the greatest ever, you know, I, I'm not here to do, to debate that. But just from, not full-on inside baseball here, but just from a day-to-day perspective, what are the biggest differences you've sensed in kind of your job and how they do things there? I've always found that fascinating. Yeah, it's it's, it's just very guarded
2: here. Um, like, you, you never get a true one-on-one with with an athlete almost never uh and in the situations where you are able to to work something out there's going to be a, a media relation uh employee there kind of watching over the the proceedings not not being antagonistic about it unless you're you're doing something that is unprofessional um but they're they're going to be watching over things where at, at mississippi state and other programs um you can you can get one-on-ones with athletes when you want them and it's just you and that athlete having a, a conversation. Of course, the the message is more organized at Alabama than it is at other places because of their general uh, outlook towards media and their media policies and and all that. And I don't mean to, to bore people with uh, with too much media talk, but I it's just how's the best way to describe it. It's it's just a different way of going about business, and clearly there is no right answer because. Jabbo Sweeney and Clemson open up their program to a uh, and everybody else, and right, and they're doing clearly just fine over there. But Jeremy Pruitt and uh, Tennessee is doing all the Nick Saban things, and his program is a rolling dumpster fire at the moment. So there's there's no right answer, but but Saban's is is one of, of a very guarded approach, and it, it just makes it it makes it more difficult to tell. Here, there's there's a lot of times where you really got to fight and claw to have something different from from the rest of the beat, which is extensive because there's there's a ton of people covering covering Alabama these
1: days. Interesting stuff, man. I really appreciate it, time. He's Brett Hudson. You can find him on Twitter at Brett B R E T T underscore Hudson. You can read his stuff. In the pages of the Tuscaloosa News, uh, probably more so for you in Mississippi at TideSports.com. Guy does a wonderful job covering Alabama. Brett, I really appreciate your time today. This was awesome stuff. And that was Brett Hudson. Smart guy. I really appreciate his time. Uh, got a lot of good insight there. We talked a lot, a decent bit about big picture Alabama stuff. Kind of what they think of LSU. Obviously, he said, it, as you heard him say, it's a game people are talking about amongst the Alabama community, not necessarily inside the program or not necessarily to the media because, again, they're kind of like robots. But that's fascinating to me because LSU L- is a legit, legitimate threat to Alabama at this point, particularly with Alabama's vulnerable defense. I mean, you heard Brett outline the, the plan, the blueprint for Alabama to win games, and that's the defense to, to play well enough, but the offense to score a lot of points because they have the most talented receiving corps. In the nation, maybe the most second second most talented quarterback in the nation, and put up a lot of points, and the defense just to be good enough, which has kind of been the opposite of what the blueprint's been in years past. But that's kind of the reality of their, what the situation they're in. But LSU's capable of getting in a shootout with Alabama, and I would lean. I would say that would bode a little better for LSU than Alabama.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, LSU's not going to be run out of the building this year uh, because Alabama cause, because they can't score. They're going to put up. A- put up points in Tuscaloosa. Whether that's enough or not will remain to be seen. <laughs> but I'm not going to be shocked uh, if, if LSU rolls into Tuscaloosa and wins, whereas the past six or seven years, I've been kind of kind floored if LSU was in that contest.
1: Yeah, and it's not like LSU's going to be captivated by the moment. Like I, I've gotten into, for whatever reason, I've been watching and reading a bunch of Civil War stuff lately. I don't really know why. And I was watching something on Gettysburg the other night, and like Robert E. Lee went to that battle, like to win the war, not necessarily, like, the battle. Like, he thought if he could push all of that fighting back up into the north, like, the the union would concede and the south would win the war. So he went into that thing, like, trying to win the entire thing. And I get the same vibe from LSU. She was like, they're going into that game if everything lines up. Auburn, again, as I keep yelling into the abyss, could trick things up there. But... And I, that's still not that likely. But I get the sense LSU's going in there to win the West and change the course of how people perceive the West, not just to win that game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're not going in to, to beat Alabama. They're going in to compete and win a national title at the end of the year. The year. And I, I think they're talented enough to do it. Um, now, that certainly starts with a win in Tuscaloosa, win over Auburn, and a win against Florida but uh I, I think they're good enough to do it, and, and they're gonna make an interesting case come january for uh for their playoff chances
1: yeah, I mean that that's a game that uh, obviously lSU's been a lot more vocal about kind of how uh, what they like who they're coming after their season aspirations, and that's to be that's to be expected just because alabama's this is just another year in a ridiculous dynasty. And LSU is kind of the one trying to pick them off and bring it back to the 2009 2012 ish level, as you heard Brett Hudson allude to, where you did, like whoever won that game was winning the West. Not just could LSU make it interesting, like that's kind of the feeling that they're going to go into that game with this year. I don't know. I'm fascinated to watch. I think LSU will beat Auburn just because I believe the game is in Baton Rouge, but Auburn could throw a wrench into this thing. I'm just going to keep saying that until they beat Georgia, Alabama, or LSU one of the three, and then I sit there and be like, ha. What
0: happens when they lose
1: all three? That's fine. Then whatever people people will never remember that I had to take. But that's a good point. I will say, like, Hey, Dad keeps telling me Auburn's going seven and five. Like before, this is before the NM game. Auburn is not going seven and five.
0: <laughs> Agreed. Absolutely
1: not. So I don't know. I found all that stuff interesting. I don't really know what else to get into in this game. Okay. All right.
0: All right. Have you seen this situation in Iowa
1: about the band getting abused?
0: No, 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 no. Uh, have you not seen the kid that raised all the money for uh, the... Oh, one
1: second. Have N- you nah. not seen
0: all the... The, uh, the kid that raised all the money for the uh, the children's hospital in uh, Iowa?
1: I just saw something come across this morning as I was drinking my coffee in the morning that someone dug up some old tweets or something dumb.
0: Yeah, we, we've got to stop doing that. that, that, that that's got
1: to stop. Yeah, because aren't you getting to a point in society where... People are going to be scared to do something that, like, significant and impactful like that that makes headline news because once they do, they're going to be judged on everything they've done from birth to that moment, essentially. Like,
0: Exactly. Like, I mean, who cares about what my did as a 16-year-old, you know?
1: Yeah, I, uh... Yeah, so, I, 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 That all that stuff is lunacy to me. I don't understand the digging up of old tweets. Like, the, if you're... If the tweet happened before you were age to where you could legally vote, then you probably, as dumb as it is, you probably... That should honestly be the rule, is you probably shouldn't be able to have social media until you're 18.
0: That That's actually... I mean, I think it violates the Constitution and all that, but I'm... You know, maybe we can make an amendment for that.
1: Yeah, I just... I'd something... There, the, the, the internet just kind of happened. No one... It just blew up. No one really regulated it. No one really understood the impact of yeah. it. And now we're so, suffering the consequences of it as a society... And now no one really knows what to do, and it seems like it's just too late. But th- this is incredibly so, dumb. Kid did a good thing. Like, don't, don't, don't knock him.
0: So, I guess your your first like social media had to be Facebook, right?
1: Yeah, mine was. But these kids now, it's probably Instagram.
0: Yeah. Did you have to get invited to Facebook to join it?
1: No, I think I just made the page.
0: Wow. Wow. But the, the invites to Facebook were OG days. You had to be invited back in my day.
1: Interesting. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I that all that stuff is depressing to me be just cause it's like kid did something good and then it's like uh oh he used a bad word at you know <laughs> age nine. It's like come on, what what exactly are we doing? Cost the
0: children's hospital over like four hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, so like I don't know, it seems stupid. Um I don't know. We'll get back to uh that's about all I had for today. We talked to the secondary last night, we talked to uh Miles Hartsfield and we talked to Charles Clark about some of the things the some of the problems they've had in the secondary. That's really the last thing I'd like to hit on today is we talked to them about some of the issues they've had. I, Alabama aside, Ole Miss is gonna struggle to win any game they play in, if that's the case going forward, because Chase Garbers had success against him. The Chase and Virgil kid for Sealot even had moderate success against him. Like, if they can't stop that, are they really going to be able to stop like, is the kid from Vanderbilt going to be able to do that? The kid from Kellen Mond? I would lean yes. Like, that, that yeah. them not playing well is going to dramatically change the outcome of how you look at this season.
0: Yeah, if, if those guys don't improve over the course of this season, I don't know if they're going to win another game besides New Mexico State. Because, look, is Vanderbilt a juggernaut on offense? No. And they. Throw What's his quarterback's name? Out. I forget their name. Yeah.
1: What's Vandy's QB's name? I, it's escaping me. Oh, God, don't ask. Don't. Okay, so but my point being, like those, the Kellen Mons could to have more talent around him. The Vanderbilt kid's sure. gonna have more talent around him. If if, if people want to make as much about the quarterback and the offense, if you're letting quarterbacks like Chase Garbers and Chase and Virgil throw like that on you, the rest of this is moot. Yeah, because exactly. you got an offensive line exactly. that can't block. You got an offense that can't keep up with that. If you're letting very limited, very average game managing type quarterbacks throw for 357 yards on you and set four career highs, you're not beating anybody.
0: Exactly. I mean, it, look. That kid was not special on Saturday, and he let Ole Miss on fire. Is Vanderbilt going to be able to do that? I mean, I don't know why they're not. No, look, I think Ole Miss can score a lot more on Vanderbilt than they did on Cal. Um, but I don't know why Vanderbilt's not going to be able to abuse their secondary if they don't get a lot better.
1: Yeah, so we'll get into probably a little bit more of that on Friday. We'll have your mailbag questions. All of that. We'll make some picks as usual. Um I don't have the Thursday night thing up, so we won't make any Thursday night picks. So those those will count as wins. So, anyway, uh, send me your mailbag questions, text me, tweet me, whatever, email me. We'll be back at it on Friday. I'm sure we'll get into this game a little more. We'll probably have a little bit more clarity on the quarterback situation. We talked to Matt Luke today after practice. Um, unless you know Matt Luke's coach's decision is that he doesn't talk to the media today. Uh, anyway, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what if Carter tells him not to talk. Yeah. So we'll we'll have a little more clarity on that. We'll get into your questions. We'll get some college football picks and kind of keep this thing rolling. But that's about all I've got for today. For Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back at it for the People's Holiday.
2: A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. Media Production.